Hey, Soraya. Hey, Jeff. Does it feel like we're back in the swing of it? It does. How do you feel, more importantly? I feel pretty good. Yeah, I feel pretty good. I had a little setback with my eye, but I think I'm heading in the right direction. I, I was telling you offline, I did a lot of sign over the past week. We uh, put new flooring in our guest room, and I wasn't wearing the correct safety goggles. Uh, I'm not even gonna. <laughs> I not think even gonna. My eye, my, <laughs> my eye and sawdust are not best friends. So. I'd say many eyes are not friends with sawdust. But the important thing is you're here, you're feeling better. Yep, yep. And that's a good thing. Yeah, and I'm excited. Um, I was telling you offline, um, if you don't mind, I wanted to pimp a couple of my Please. CDs that came out this year. So um, two CDs uh, I was a part of this year. Um, one of was this uh, White Glove Test was a band that I was in in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And we recorded this with Vetus Matare, who's been on our show. In fact, um, you can see Vetus here at the control room. Um, this wasn't the session that we were at, but uh, uh, at this studio. So, um, and he sings about this on, um, on his latest CD, right? We talked about that. <clears throat> but anyway, so um, this was a, a project that we recorded 33 and a third years ago and it's finally out came out this year so white glove test was the name of the band uh, our, our producer philip drucker uh, he's the front man of a band that i play in 17 pygmies he gave me the the original reel-to-reel -reel tape for this and i had it baked which is a process where they actually cook the reel-to-reel -reel so it doesn't snap on the machine it was baked by a uh, friend of Ronnie Barnett, uh, Brian Kehue, who was nominated for baking Woodstock tapes like two years ago. Anyway, so we used the artwork from a, from the actual reel-to-reel uh, -reel boxes, it has Vetus's writing on it, so his notes. So finally came out, it's called uh, Rust Never Sleep. So um, we made the CD kind of look like the reel <laughs> and got some old pictures of us as young young kids from from a video that our friend Mike Meeker did so anyways finally out um white glove test rest never sleeps it's a live thing that we did and uh it's it was pretty fun I'm glad that it's finally out and it's on Amazon Bandcamp um Spotify Pandora all that stuff and then a new project that I'm a part of Smoky Ghosts of Big Trees um, you've heard this one. So uh, we put out a couple EPs digitally and Tori, our front man, wanted a physical copy. So here it is on CD again. It's everywhere that you could find find it. Um, if you want physical copies, the best place is probably Bandcamp. That's the cheapest. If you order from Bandcamp, I'll ship it from this box right here. <laughs> I think, <laughs> that one. <laughs> I think that we only have about 12 of them left, Sorry, like. I cannot believe how many of them we've already sold, but there's about a dozen of these left and it's on Amazon as well, Spotify, Bandcamp, um, Pandora, but we were a part of a project called Smoldering Ashes and we still are. We're going to probably work on some new stuff, but three of the members from Smoldering Ashes put this together. Tori wanted to do vocals, so it's all Tori's singing. Eight songs, um, the two digital EPs put on one CD, but anyways, it's out there. I'm excited about that. <laughs> but awesome. the CD that we want to talk about today is this set right here. 
the the always amazing Barbara Manning. Um, and this uh, set, which um, Clive was very, very kind to pass on to us, Super Scissors, um, which is really, um, uh, sorry, I'm only thinking in Spanish right now. <laughs> it, uh, it brings together three uh, recordings of Barbara Manning. But um, our guest today, because we want to talk about this box set, is the one and only Pat Thomas. Pat Thomas. Yeah. We uh, love a lot on this podcast and who's been super generous with his time and knowledge and uh, sharing anecdotes with us. And we can't wait to talk about this with him because we know, I mean, we're friends, but he's he's an even bigger fan and Heyday Records put out some of her recordings too. So I can't wait to dig into this with you and with Pat and just get back to the business of recording podcasts. So let's get started. Hi, this is Soraya. And this is Jeff. Our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme. A podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tunes. We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, agroviar. Let's get groovy. Where the hell have you guys been? Ben, I've been waiting like 10 minutes for you guys. <laughs> Sorry, technical issues, but we're here. We're here. Hey, Pat, it's so good to see you. Good. I was I was teasing. I'm 10 minutes late. <laughs> For our listeners, I wanted to do a little introduction to let everybody know what we're doing today, because today we're talking to Pat Thomas, who I say is a renaissance man. I know it's it's overused, but this guy's an author, a musician, um, producer, uh, liner notes, expert. Book. Very book, cool. Book, yep. in, book in progress. <laughs> this guy does everything so we're mfa mfa okay, oh. gra i graduate in uh three weeks nice nice the professor there you go the yeah. professor approves yes <laughs> well we wanted to welcome you back pat and today we're going to be the professor he's the professor man well she's yeah. we both are you are you're the real professor i'm just uh, i'm the dilettante <laughs> So today we're talking about Barbara Manning's box set, yeah. Super Scissors. Oh, we all got it. Everybody's got, got one. Does everyone have one? All right. Yes, yes. Um, and this compiles the first two solo records from Barbara lately, a Keep Scissors and One Perfect Green Blanket, plus a, a heap load of other goodies, which we want to get to, sure. outtakes and demos. Um, this was released, I believe, on CD in 2007 on Clive Jones' Rainfall Records label. And uh, Soraya, I think you and I both learned about this when we were talking to Clive yes. on our interview, because I didn't know that this box set was put together. But um, we're excited to talk to you, Pat, about this, because you you made this happen. So um, thank you sure. for joining us to talk about this today. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Hey. Cool. So Pat, the obvious question. Yeah. How does the work on this box set get started? Okay, well, um, uh, I was a, a fan and friend of True West. And so I had met Russ Tolman a few times and the summer of uh, 85, True West came through uh, 
Rochester, New York for the second or third time or something like that. And uh, I met their roadie, who was a guy named Mike Cloward, who turned out to be the drummer of 20th Day. Now at this point, 20th Day hadn't made a record or, or you know, no one had really heard of them. And, uh, and Russ said, oh, you know, meet Mike Cloward. Uh, he's in this band called 28th Day. And uh, I, I produced an album by them that's coming out uh, in a few months through, through Restless. So um, when the album came out, I, I, I got a copy just because, uh, you know, because I knew Russ and I had met Mike. And I was not prepared for and had no idea. You know, I'd never heard of, obviously, no, no one knew who Barbara Manning was. So I, I was completely blown away you know, by this album. And uh, Mike wound up sending me a cassette version, which had like one extra track or something, nice. as well as a, uh, a live tape. And then I spent the next year living in Denmark, uh, all of 1987, or I'm sorry, all, all of 1986, I was living in Denmark. Anyway, this was just, you know, I only had a handful of uh, tapes with me. Uh, and so over time, I just became more and more obsessed with this, this album. And then uh, by the time I got back to the United States in January of 87, 20th day had already broken up. Um, and I moved to San Francisco in October, 1987. And I, like I said, I was so obsessed with this album, especially Barbara's contributions, that I basically just sort of tracked Barbara down. I mean, I'd, I'd only been living in San Francisco for about four days when, um, when I reached out to Barbara and Barbara uh, was a fan of Absolute Grey. She'd heard the Absolute Grey album. Absolute Grey album, of course, had come out a year or two before their album. Uh, I, I wouldn't say like Absolute Grey was necessarily an influence on 20th Day, but all three members loved Absolute Grey partially because it, it, it wasn't too dissimilar to what they were already doing, right? Yeah. So Barbara said she wanted to play me some demos that she was working on. And so I literally showed up at her apartment uh, with a dubbing deck, you know, two cassette decks and one. <laughs> oh, you're right, right. You know, and, and so, you know, and I, I, you know, it's kind of funny. And so I, um, I rec she gave me, or, you know, we dubbed off maybe two thirds of what became the Scissors album. Wow. And so I just, you know, so I had this cassette, you know, of, of like, you know, half or two thirds of Scissors. And for the next year, I just played it friggin constantly so when i decided to start heyday records the first phone call i made was to barbara and i said i said we got to put this out and she said well you know we can do that but we need to go into the studio and i need to record one or two more songs and mix a few things so uh she at that point was working a lot with this guy greg freeman so uh the three of us went into the studio uh, you know again i didn't have a f official capacity i was more just the fanboy and friend uh and we recorded uh you know a couple more tunes and mixed a few things or whatever and so you know the first three heyday releases were my own album uh scissors and the and the viva saturn ep yes um and really you know really quickly barbara's album was the one that got uh the most attention and the most reviews and you know, people like Yellow Tango heard it and Giant Sand heard it, you know, all these other guys heard it, uh, other, other musicians. And uh, so she, you know, she deservedly became uh, very well known very fast. Um, 
and then we about a year or two later we followed it up with the uh, one perfect green blanket ep um and then you know it was not surprising at all that she you know then got signed by matador uh etc 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 um so meanwhile uh i was i was always friends with clive jones who was who was just a fan in england and we used to trade tapes you know cassette tapes as so I'd given him, I used to record every one of Barbara's shows. You know, I have a bunch of recorded live recordings. So, you know, over time he became a super fan and Barbara even went over to England and, and uh, stay, stayed there and met Clive and did a few little shows with her sister, Terry. This is circa, now we're up to about 1990, I think. Roughly. Okay. Um, so anyway, um, you know, Clive said, look, you know, I'll put up the money, uh, you know, now we're fast forward up to the, 2000s so i put up the money if you want to put together this you know this box set um and nice. so that became uh what i what i called super scissors and nice. um so you've got the you know the complete original lately i keep scissors album you've got the complete original one perfect green blanket ep and then you've got um all this great stuff you know some of these songs uh she recorded multiple versions of so like cd3 uh, where it says alternate version, electric version, those were actually done in the studio around the same time she was making scissors. And then, of course, you have things that are marked home demos. And, you know, Barbara would record things. I think she, she had a four track, one of those four track cassette gizmos, you know. Right, right. Um, and then there's a um, couple of radio, I guess, I guess not as many as I remember, but there's a I, I put live versions on here of, of I guess, of mainly of songs that there were no studio versions of. Oh, okay. Um, you know, and uh, and I kind of just went for the best stuff. I mean, obviously, I could have I could have probably packed all these CDs and made them all like twenty or twenty five songs. Yeah. But you know, it's it's important what I try to do as a producer, and I I did the same thing. We talked about this with the eleven CD Steve Wynn box. Right. Um. In that case, frankly, there was no more room. I mean, all those CDs are almost packed to the 80 minute length. But but even if they weren't, you know, I wasn't I wasn't going to throw a substandard thing on there just just to have a, yet another song, you know. So I, I try to be a little, uh, you know, have 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 my ed editing faculties about me when I when I do this stuff, you know. Nice. Yeah, we definitely want to get into a little bit more about the bonus material, but just as a connection. Um, with the decade and barbara manning uh they co-wrote a song that's on the decade box set uh steve Wynn and barbara manning from the, the e-music disc uh, right well, there, there's there's been a mutual admiration society going for a long time i i think barbara told me that if you were to go to to the chico college radio station and you were to pull out the copy of days of wine and roses the dream Center album i, I think uh, she wrote on the album, you know, this is like 35 years ago, something like, you know, I'm going to marry this guy someday or something uh. to that effect. <laughs> um, but, you know, Steve, of course, had heard 28th Day because he was friends with Russ Tolman. But Steve was, you know, pretty jazzed about the Scissors album, you know. Um, Rightly so. Yeah. Rightly so. so, so yeah. So, they, so they've always been a fan of each other's, et cetera, et cetera. And so when, when Steve, uh, started doing this thing called the e-music thing he wanted to collaborate with a different person each month and and so barbara was a no-brainer for him to 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 reach out to the other thing they have in common is they both love baseball 
you know, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, you know, it, it, at one point it, it probably would have made sense for Barber to become part of the baseball. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. I'm not saying it, it was going to happen, but she, she would be an obvious uh, contender to be in that band as someone who loves baseball and rock and roll, you know? Wow. That's cool. I, I don't, I don't share their, their, uh, not only do I not share their admiration for baseball, I'm not a fan of, of team sports in any shape or fashion, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Yeah. Hey, Pat, uh, the box set comes with this pretty cool booklet. I got to say, it's got it's got some great pictures in here and uh, some of the stories that you yeah. telling uh, that you're telling us right now, like moving uh, to San Francisco. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting in the booklet is where um, the conversation that you're having with Barbara and she had a stipulation in order to do this. That she that you would have to record a new song, never park, um, if this was going to come out. studio when she was recording that session for the right, yeah, I mentioned that briefly a few minutes in my in my introduction yeah when, when I called her up to say let's let's put out an album you know which became scissors she said yeah you, you got to let me record another song um the thing I remember on Never Park is you know Barbara was really into uh the Bats and the Verlaines and the Chills and all these New Zealand bands and um I remember her saying you know that never park had a little bit of that flying nun vibe and of course we we brought in a cello player a woman named kim and i if i'm not mistaken i think the verlaines had some songs with cello on it i it's you know it's, it's been a while but um but she yeah she i think i think never park was a little bit of a musical tribute to uh to to her love of the of the new new zealand stuff uh, if i'm not if my, my memory is usually pretty good so <laughs> nice very nice all right so pat we understand the cd was remastered from real to real masters and we read some of your thoughts about the source material yeah. can you give us or give our listeners a little more insight into um using that those masters for super scissors like was this an easy process hard process well, and what was the condition of these reel-to-reels by by the time this starts uh, taking? The reel-to-reels were in good shape. I, I, you know, sometimes you have to do, you know, I mean, not to get too nerdy. Sometimes you have to bake reel-to-reels, literally, because they, uh, they, you know, almost it's like the music is, you know, the the music that's on a reel-to-reel is there with glue, 
right? Because the way they make a tape is you've got the, the tape and then you put like a glue on it and then you put these very tiny magnetic particles on the tape. There's millions of them, right? And it's those magnetic particles that hold the music. So what happens over time, some reel to reels, when that glue, if you will, starts to decay. So if you bake a tape, you've got about a week to, you know, play it again, you know, digitally transfer. My memory is we didn't have to bake the tapes. Uh, wow. um, and then, you know, it, it says original, there was also, you know, no surprise, some cassette masters. Um, but I also remember in the liner notes that at the last minute, I think, I think another reel-to-reel -reel tape popped up, um, uh, you know, so, so I think there was a bunch of stuff that I would have used cassette masters of, but then all of a sudden I had this, you know, reel-to-reel -reel master reel, you know, so, so, so I'd say 90% of this thing is from, you know, a reel-to-reel -reel tape. Um, you know, I mean, these are, you know, you know, this is not Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon or something, you know, like, like, you know, to me, that's not necessarily the selling point, you know, because right. I mean, part of Barbara's charm is, is, you know, it has kind of a lo-fi, mid-fi sound. I mean, even the original studio recordings were done on an eight track reel to reel, you know, so, so we're, you know, we're not going to have this as an album you play at a stereo store to get the guy to buy his new speakers, you know, but, right. but nevertheless, it, you know, it does, it does sound great in its own indie rock way. For sure. Yeah, and I think I've read some of your comments about source material and how reel-to-reel yeah. -reel is a little bit overrated sometimes, that the source material is such a big deal, and it's more of a marketing thing, right? I think I've read you. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, in general, an original reel-to-reel -reel tape should be the best source. Uh, you know, lately, what's been happening is you know if you're doing an album from the nine reissue album from the 90s there's a good chance there never was a reel-to-reel -reel tape it might have been a dat master uh there's a bunch of record companies out there that uh literally go to amoeba and buy a cd to, to put out their vinyl wow um, wow you know yeah um, and, the, and the funny thing is um i'll, I'll just tell a little story years ago I worked for a record company and we put out Richard and Linda Thompson shoot out the lights on vinyl. And uh, it had it'd been done on vinyl back in the day, like 1982 or whatever. But it, it was the first time it had been on vinyl. Uh, this was like the early 2000s, right? Wow. And the reel to reel tape couldn't be found. And I had a Ryko disc gold CD. Oh. Uh, you know, audiophile CD. Yeah. So that was the master. Okay. And Something about that CD and the way it was mastered, the vinyl had this amazing sort of 3D sound, you know, just, it just sounded great, right? And it got a great review in an audiophile magazine, right? Wow. Now that particular gentleman claimed on Facebook about a year ago that he could absolutely positively tell when something was mastered from a CD. And I said, well, dude, I said, I'm, I'm here to tell you that you can't because I saw you play <laughs> something 15 years ago that was mastered from a CD, right? That's uh, hilarious. You know, uh, in general, yeah, you don't really want to use CDs as masters. Um, and obviously, Shoot Out the Lights was recorded, you know, to analog back in the day. But anyway, it, it's, it's all, to me, it's all a little bit overblown, you know? I mean... Yeah. 
I have a really nice stereo system. Uh, it's in storage. I, I listen to almost everything on a friggin' boom box. Oh. <laughs> right? And I yeah. love the sound of the boom box. I also, I also have a CD player in the car. I love listening to CDs in my car. Yep, same, same, uh, yeah. And then the other thing in my last part of my rant here is, you know, brand new vinyl can cost like 30, 35 bucks now. Yeah. One is wickedly expensive. And two, sometimes you buy it and it's crackly. Mm. Right. Or, or maybe it just doesn't sound that freaking good to begin with. You know, I just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm with you. I appreciate that rant. Yeah. yeah. But pulling you back into Super Scissors. Right. Um, we know going back to Steve Wynn's decade box set, uh, which you also curated, we know that you guys hold yourself up in a, a hotel room and you went through all of these yeah. um, hundreds and hundreds of songs. So how did you come up with putting all these bonus tracks together? Was there a lot to choose from? For um, Super Scissors well, I had, you know, the thing is, is, is because of my friendship with Barbara and because I was such a, a Barbara fanboy, you know, I had most of this stuff already and I'd spent a lot of time with it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, so it wasn't, it wasn't like it was all sprung on me over one weekend. This was stuff I'd been listening to for years, most Got of it. it. Um, but nevertheless, you know, I, I spent, um, you know, I spent a few weeks going through it and, and Barbara, uh, Barbara pretty much just let me do my thing kind of in the way that Steve Wynn does as well, you know? So, uh, in fact, my memory is I think I think Barbara heard it when when I handed it to her. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> you know, and I th I think she was flattered that you know that we did it, and, and she also particularly liked that I'd gotten some quotes from some of her heroes. I think Robert Scott of the Bats is in there. Nice, uh, Byron yes. Coley, uh, you know, journalist from Force Exposure. You know, so I and I, uh, you know, again, you know, kind of I didn't. I don't think I told her in advance. I wanted her to, you know, to kind of be surprised, uh, you know, by some, by some of the, some of the quotes and things that are, that are in there, you know. I, I'm a fan of surprises. I'm always a fan of a surprise. So this was really nice to see. Yeah. Um, you know, Barbara for me, and, and I know some of your listeners will ch chuckle like he's smoking crack. I mean, Barbara for me is right in there with some of my favorite artists, Neil Young, Sandy Denny, Nick Drake. And, and part of the problem with uh, the media is that it's assumed if you're, if you're not on a major label that you're somehow less than or less important than, you know? Like for example, uh, NPR a few years ago did uh, 100 best female artists, right? And you know, great, great list, you know, everything from Nina Simone to Joni Mitchell, whatever. But it was completely devoid of any female artists that had always just been on indie labels. And then they said, well, maybe eventually we'll do that list, right? Well, why can't it just be one fucking list, right? You know, yeah. I, li I lived in Germany for a few years and have traveled around a lot in Europe. You know, when, when a, a German magazine or an Italian magazine does a list like that, you'd be pleasantly surprised of the mix. I mean, sure, it's, it's generally going to be major label artists because that's who everyone's heard of, right? But but over there, you could see, let's say, Ricky Lee Jones, Warner Brothers recording artist, and Barbara Manning, you know, heyday Matador artist on the, on the same freaking list. So we've, we've ghettoized, the American media, in my opinion, over the last 34 years, has ghettoized these indie musicians. 
you know, like the Rolling Stone record guide of which there's been many volumes, although I don't think there's been one in years, but you know, when that came out, I knew it wasn't going to be packed with indie artists, right? Mm. But it didn't even have for memory, like the bigger names of the era, like Husker Du, the Minutemen, Dream Syndicate, you know, uh, it only had REM because they'd been bounced up to a major label, you know? Right, right. Um, so, yeah, so I will, I will gladly talk of Barbara Manning in the same breath as Neil Young or Nick Drake, because she's simply fucking there she just is wow yeah yeah we agree with that yeah uh speaking of thanks (laughs) speaking of talking to barbara manning yes (laughs) well pat you didn't know this but uh we reached out to barbara and we asked if she wouldn't mind hopping in at the end of this all right and and making a couple comments so barbara i haven't seen you in so long Hey, Pat, you know what? what? You're a really good interview. That is incredibly interesting. Were you listening to me? Of course. Because yeah, okay. I want to make sure you weren't going to annoy me. Oh, okay, good. Good. Okay. <laughs> I love how you came in when I basically said you were God. And then you're like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let him know I'm here. Yeah, that's kind of how it was. Like, okay, I, I just got to touch the top of my. Yeah, right. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> okay. I thought no, it was. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Pat. That was really beautiful. I think that's amazing. It's. Yeah. You know, um, it's it's a um, it's really incredible to have somebody say that about you, and to consistently say it. Yeah. And um, and and almost every year I get embarrassed because you have, I don't know why you just have this like I gotta post this, barbering, hey. <laughs> and yes, then I'm I always do. like, ah! <laughs> stop. Right, um, right, yeah. But uh, but uh, no, it's it's never stopped. Your um, enthusiasm and support has always been there, and I really appreciate it through thick and thin. Thank you. So thank you, Pat. Thank you. Um, so Soraya, we're not done asking Pat questions, right? No, okay. I still have one more. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. Only gonna, one I'm more. Gra- I'm gonna grab something while you're talking. Okay. So he leaves. He leaves for the last question. Well, <laughs> okay, well I'm back. it's not the last, but I definitely have one more. Okay. I wanted to ask. All right. And uh, I wanted to ask about um, how all the photos that came together in the booklet, because that's one of the things that's really impressive is there's a lot of photos that I can't find in other places. They're here. Right. So what was that process like? Were those shared from Barbara or from other fans or things that you had? It was things that I had because, you know, pre-digital, the only way to have a photo was to have a photo, right? right. Which nobody had a hard drive. So every time Barbara got photographed, uh, especially during the years that her and I were kind of working together with A-Day, um, I made sure that I got a copy. Um, but Barbara did like, for example, the one you just flashed, which is her and Greg in the studio, that, that would have come from Barbara herself. I wouldn't have had that. Um, okay. Like I forgot that was in there. That's cool. Yeah, there's some um, great pictures in there. But yeah, I have, I have a, uh, oh yeah, that's, oh my God, that's Chris von Snyder and I forgot he was in there. <laughs> I haven't looked at this box in a long time. This is kind of fun. Um, keep going. Okay, yeah. Oh. That one I had turned into this giant poster oh. 20 years ago. What? I did not like the fact yeah. that you had that. No, Barbara came over to my house. Barbara came over to my house one day and she said, what the fuck is that doing in the wall? 
Now you'll be happy to know, Barbara, that it's been off the wall. It's completely covered in dust now because I haven't. Hung oh, that's it. good. That's a good sign. Been, yeah, I've been hung it up in a long time. So <laughs> you but, could probably sell that on eBay, by the way. I probably could. You know, I, I can take could. care of that for you. Yeah, that's one of my favorite photos. Greg, Barbara, and uh, Melanie Claren. That's a killer photo. Keep keep going. This is entertaining. I'm loving this. <laughs> I was just gonna flip through while you were while you were talking about compiling all this. Yeah, because... I know that photo. I that that was something I had. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that's Barbara. Our... That particular photo is Barbara. Like not long after I met her. That's that's what Barbara. That was the Barbara look when I first met her. Right there. She looks pretty much the same now. Yeah, she does. Uh, that's that's from a world of poo gig actually. Uh, outdoor world of poo gig yep and we should mention that barbara's been in all kinds of other projects ffs sfcos yeah you mentioned 28th day or solo stuff yeah i know that one yep <laughs> I barbara, know i'm just surprised i would even let a photographer get that close i know i know i actually I like have this. a funny oh i love I like that this. one that's that's from barbara's own collection too i think um that's a great one Oh, yeah. that old K. Yeah. Barbara, you got to be loving this. Like, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> maybe not. To explain. Uh, the picture part is a little yeah. embarrassing. I think part of you know, I mean, I'm I'm getting so old and slow and yeah. clunky, and yeah. I feel like yeah. the old Barbara Manning is like a different beast. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I I do definitely feel detached almost from the person you're talking about. Um. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, as opposed to it being me myself, it's just, it's like. Um, uh, I, I want to talk about that though, in, in, in a real positive sense. Barbara, for years, and I mean this with love, her live shows were were a little bit of a roller coaster ride, right? Because she'd be fidgeting with the tuning or whatever, right? In the last ten years, Barbara gets on stage and she's like just fucking on right like you've got because of the snark i all of a sudden had a tuner yeah the tune, right exactly so so really i mean barbara on a, on a if, if we want to just go on a professional level whatever the fuck that means her live shows are like killer uh they've always been killer but they were always like i said this kind of mm. train wrecky thing but not anymore jesus christ they're fucking like I don't play anymore. That's why. <laughs> it's almost like left to memory. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you did a performance, Barbara. What two months ago? A month or two ago? Uh, uh, oh yeah, to no, to to really only like a couple people watching. Mm -hmm. Not true. I was watching online. <laughs> Could you? But you couldn't really hear it. I went back to try to see what it was like, and mm -hmm. I realized, oh my, that was pretty rough I, I my favorite comment of the night you know because it was the first time I'd ever live streamed anything mm -hmm. and my favorite comment was something like uh, two people talking about how frustrated they were that they really couldn't see and they couldn't hear mm -hmm. and somebody said you know I think she just put this on the table walked away and there's nobody even looking at these comments <laughs> and I was like yeah that that's true <laughs> that's what happened <laughs> Yeah, uh, um, but um, I I don't know. I I feel like if you I, I feel I'm very weirded out by the fact that I I'm not as good as I used to be. That's what I feel like. Like I feel like I don't play as well. And it's nice, Pat, that you're saying I'm actually better. You're better. Than you're better. Yeah, you're better. 
Yeah. I'll just take that and not, you know, yeah. and I'll lick my, yeah. my insecurities later, but yeah. uh, I, it's, it's scary to play when you have people with this mindset of like, Ooh, we're going to get, you know, Matador record era, Barbara Manning and, and, and or heyday era, sorry. And maybe even better, yeah. Yeah. but you know, yeah. uh, I, I can't, I can't really, uh, I, I can't, I don't know if I can conjure that same ability because I was pretty fierce back then. Um, and now I'm just like grateful to be able to play in front of someone. <laughs> it's kind of different. Yeah. I was having an argument with this guy, um, on, on a Facebook months and months ago. And he knew that I was very, uh, just like kind of jealous of the fact that cat had, uh, cat, um, power, um, and Liz fair were always the ones, the go-to people that people would talk about with, in regards to indie rock females. And, mm -hmm. um, I would, and I, the fact that that really annoyed me. And so he started to just send me all these cat power videos all the time. Oh, wow. Um, with like messages and stuff. And I was just like, wow, you are using cat power, like a fucking, you know, paddle or something slapping me with it. Mm. It's just so weird to think about that, but it was really because I gave that power over, you know, like I was jealous of, of it. So I would react. So I started to like going, well, you're going to have to start loving everything. So nobody can do that again. But um, anyway, insecurities are funny. And Pat, you and I know a lot about that. And that's one of the things that's cool about our friendship is that we, if you don't mind my saying, Pat, yeah. share a really fucked up mental health state. We do. And, we, do. Um, and we, I mean, we do. I know I do. And I know he does. And he'll say the same yeah. about me and himself. And, um, yeah. and so there's been times when we've related the best. Um, yeah. Yeah nothing to do with music just okay. trying to kind of get us pull each other out of really deep there were some uh there were some intense phone calls uh many years ago oh yeah uh and my my favorite one though of the bad ones yeah. are um when you called and said how happy you were just to be in the hospital like you were like in bliss because <laughs> like after a particularly bad episode which i will not you know sure, sure, i'm sure. not telling you about yeah, you can talk. but yeah, um that's good but I'm sure that the, the drivers on the bridge were a little annoyed. Um, but after a particularly, you know, harrowing event like that, you yeah. know, you called me and you wanted to let me know where you were. Yeah. And also you're like, I'm having a hell of a time. This is like the best place I've ever been. Like I haven't got a room and a bed and people bring me food and they talk to me about my state of mind and I'm getting more attention and love than I ever get. And I was thinking, yeah, it's, yeah, that's, that's true. Yep. That's true. Yeah, no, it's true. And 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 on the reverse, I remember a, a panicky phone call from Chico uh, a dozen or so years ago. Oh yeah. And I yeah. Uh, well, you know, yeah. I have to say though, the problem with mental um, a mental health problem is that it is not situational as much as it is just it's chemical. Yeah. And so you can be in a great environment, or you know, you could be having the best time in in the world around you but you still feel like you don't deserve it and you're a piece of shit and yeah. that everyone who's saying something nice don't really mean it. And I mean, you just, you know, you believe that. I mean, look, and, at, the, um, look at the, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know anything about him, but you know, didn't the guy from Soundgarden kill himself after a great show. Right. I yeah. Mean, you yeah. Know, yeah. Like I said, I know nothing about this guy. I'm not judging him anyway, but you know, it, it's hard to believe that you could do a show in front of 5,000 screaming fans and then go to the hotel room and off yourself. Right. I mean, who the hell knows what he was thinking, but but Barbara's right. It's 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 not always situational. It can be chemical, 
uh, I also think these things kind of go in cycles too, a little bit sometimes, you know. Mm, I think it's there all the time for me. I think it's a constant struggle. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And this year has really brought a lot of things to the front. Yes. For me too, because I'm also struggling without a job. Yeah. And so that's when you don't have a job, you don't have that. Um, you're not adding to the pot of the people who are, you know, mm -hmm. taking care of you. And that's the, one of the hardest things for me to deal with mentally yeah. is not like pulling my own weight. Yeah. Um, but speaking of, I, I wanted to ask you, Pat, because I don't want us to run out of time. Sure. And I want to have a question too. So it's almost like I feel like that time when I was walking with my grandmother and I was saying, you know, will you show me where, when you first saw me as a baby, uh, where I was when I was born, you know, and she took me to the, to the exact hospital and right. she's telling me about how, how, where I was just like laying. Yeah. Um, so I kind of feel like I'm asking you this, but can you tell me more, a little bit more about the process of, of picking songs and, uh, I mean, did you just use every single thing you found on those tapes or what? No, no, no. I and, was then actually... also, and then also, hold on, hold on. And I also want you to include yeah. um, and talk a little bit about uh, um, the person you were help you, you were hiring to do the actual um, physical engineering, which I think his name is Mark. Yeah, oh, okay. so good, you, good idea, good idea. I would love to hear about, about Mark and, um, and about how you um, work together and, and that process. That would be really awesome. Okay. Uh, I was saying earlier, which you, I'm not sure when you uh, tuned in, um, that a lot of these songs I knew because either you had given me tapes or, or uh, what we should make. Or you had just decided to dub them. <laughs> right. Greg Freeman had given me some stuff. And so, and so by the time I, it was time to do this box, I knew most of this material in some way. But, but I was also telling these two, our, our hosts, that you know, I, I am a fanboy, but I also know when to like edit. And so there's definitely stuff that's not on here. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what it was anymore, but in other words, I didn't, I didn't put everything, but the kitchen sink. I put the kitchen sink minus the everything. Um, <laughs> um, and the thing is, which is interesting is like, if you go to CD three, like some of these are totally different. Like what something you've got isn't good is acoustic rather than electric. Prophecy written, I think, is electric, maybe even with a band.
because the worst thing is what you don't want to hear is a song that basically sounds just like the one you already know, minus the bass player or something. You know what I mean? So I feel like I picked things that were, you know, kind of cool and different. Wires, cages, fences, and gates has drums. Um, you definitely must have supplied me with some of your four track tapes because uh, a good friend of mine, Mark Terrell, had a four track player and, and he and I mixed those. And when I say mixed, we, we kept it really simple. In other words, we weren't going to fill specter you and like add strings and horns. I mean, we, we pretty much mixed it in a real simple way because they were, they were just home demos. So I, I think they were mixed more or less as Barbara might have mixed them herself. Now, the one thing that Barbara and I have always butted heads on is one thing. Well, well many things, but for purposes of this box, <laughs> Barbara is not a fan of Barbara's voice necessarily. And I think Barbara's voice is one of the key reasons to fucking listen to Barbara, right? Agreed. So when Agreed. we're in the studio, her and, and Greg Freeman, who was the engineer and, and kind of Barbara's co-producer, Greg is, is one of the rare engineers that sees the vocals as an instrument. And so he was mixing stuff kind of, in other words, vocals generally float over the top, right? Like here's the band, you know? And yep. so I think the one thing that I did in the studio was like, can we have the vocals just a little bit louder? And so I think if I hadn't been in the room, the vocals would be a little more buried on, on the scissors out, you know? Thank you, Pat. Thank you for that. Um, Cause you know, the, the thing about Barbara that proves that her voice is amazing just think about all the cover versions that she's done. We were like, holy fuck, this is great. If she had a terrible voice, why would you want to hear her sing someone else's tune? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely true. Yeah. You know, Barbara has an ability uh, to make some of these songs. So you were mixing these tapes and um and then and you had, but you were so you you hired Mark because he had a four track or because he had a way to no, he had a four. Next he was the only guy. He was the only person. To the electronic stuff. No, no. Mark, Mark was the only person I knew that had a four track, and he was a fan and a nice guy, and and he did it for free in his. We did in his in his garage. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of conflating. He did it for free. Yes, he did. So I'm I'm kind of conflating, you know, the 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 Greg Freeman sessions, the what I call the real sessions, with the uh, the demo sessions. Um, but um, I was just saying that. I think that that's where the real work of this the box set is because yeah. you know sure you can remix the the two albums um but you're not going to make huge changes or decisions about that right. but all that you know what I call um basically my crap <laughs> oops yeah. I almost built something um you know just like all those extra songs that I kind of went oh that's kind of a weird ditty let's just leave it on the tape yeah. that finally you know that that came out right. um that was the stuff that i was like oh what's it gonna sound like and what it is it i i mean is it gonna ruin my reputation because it's all not that great or you know something like that um and i and i that's why i'm really the most curious about i guess it's the third, third i'm not disc. sure which one it is yeah. the third disc or whatever that's the one that i find the reason to buy the box set is because that's the stuff that doesn't exist anywhere else and should it exist even <laughs> um you yeah. know big question yeah. um <laughs> but um but anyway so i just and i had only um i just over the last six months or so become friends with um mark terrell on facebook yeah. and so um i wanted to know what that 
process was like right. and um and because that's the most interesting part of the box set to me that's why i was hoping you would wow. maybe talk about that more but i suppose just you know yeah well one thing i just realized that these home demos were recorded here is it's hard to see it you guys because but that's the home they were done in. that's 560 lion street which when i met barbara that's where she was living this house was like the size of texas and i think she had <laughs> the complete second and third floors uh yeah with well not me but me oh and my, seven other people yeah terry terry her sister was there um couple other people we might not want to mention anymore. Gina Arnold. Gina Arnold, there. yes. Rock critic Gina Arnold. Um, and uh, anyway, that was that was just a really, really amazing house. And um, um, now I don't think it, it's not on here because it wouldn't it wouldn't it would, there would be no reason for it to be on here. But one thing that's in Barbara's archives that I got to hear one time Gigi Allen stayed at Barbara's house or stopped by, okay? Wow. And so she said, I have this demo with Gigi Allen. And I thought it was gonna be like, <laughs> right? It was this yeah. beautiful acoustic song. Too scary. Yeah, it was this beautiful acoustic song. It's her and Gigi Allen, it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, I haven't listened to it in a long time. I have it somewhere, but, but wow. yeah, there were all kinds of little surprises in those, in those tapes. Um, I feel like there's also on here a X-Tall song. Did that make it on here? Yeah, Cheap Holiday Song. were this really cool band from San Francisco that had Jay Neo and our good friend uh, Mick Freeman. Uh, He's the one who wrote the song. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so there, there's, there's, um, for pity's sake, is, uh, is that Sneaky Feelings, right? Yep. heard it through from Barbara I mean I, I actually thought it was a Barbara song for like two years before I realized that uh that she had heard it from them um and although she used to hate me for saying this you know there, there's a real folky element to, to Barbara's it's it's in her DNA even if she used to want to punch me in the face for saying it but you can you can hear it on the fact that she blends scissors with I've been working on the railroad 
which is an yeah. old traditional song. And even the fact that she recorded this train with 28th Day, which is a yeah. song. So, 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 you know. I can tell that you're getting your master's degree. Congratulations, Pat, because you're kind of using evidence with your reasoning. Right. And I really like how you're wrapping it up kind of like in a kind of conclusionary way. Right, right. Um, thank you. Um, you're very pro professorial. I'll start calling you the professor now. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, there's, um, I mean, Barbara is sort of the missing link between sort of indie rock and, and folk music, you know. Uh, well said. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's a, a lot of people that can fall into that yeah. niche. Right. Um, right. So really, basically, I was just curious, like, um, you know, the mixing part, yeah. like, well, um, I guess if you have a four track, there's not that many things there to mix. Wasn't, there but, wasn't. It was real simple. Um, um, so yeah, we. It, but you, 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 you know, you'd want to get it all processed and you know into a, into the, the you know away from the cassettes into something more substantial, right? Uh, like a reel to reel tape or something. Um, and that's why I was just curious, like, yeah. like how much of that. Like when you're doing your your a compiling of a of a artist. Yeah you're you're very much like the um the, the person that hovers on top right and right. Then there's a like other people are kind of doing the nuts and bolts part and then yeah. you kind of cruise in and decide if it sounds right or not yeah yeah well i was i was talking about um you know i did this 11 cd steve Winbox. box uh yeah i know i was listening i i know it's amazing yeah, and, and that, honestly you know that you don't want to pack the cd too much and then right you, you just want tasty bits you know you want to have and then something I learned from Russ Tolman yeah. um, is that you want people to want more. So you have like these very special placements of things on a record, sure. um, like the first two tracks and the last track on the first side and the first track on the second side. And then the last track on the last side oh. has to be leaving you something like kind of like it's not quite finished yet. And, yeah. Um, so I get that. Yeah, I get that. Um, I, I do with with Steve's box set. I kind of treated it like the Gong Show, because if the song didn't grab me in the first minute and a half, I skipped. I went, you know, I went past, because because mm. we have like he had something like two hundred songs. I boiled it down to like sixty, you know. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. That would be really hard from somebody who's been putting out music continuously for so long. Yeah. And I'm 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 curious about um the True West box set that you're gonna be doing is I mean they were they've only got two albums or something, right? Yeah, and then exactly right. and then they weren't very friendly with each other for a while. So I don't think there's a lot of like extra later just well, i mean it's kind of like where 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 are you going to get this stuff well, and how is this it is this is going to be interesting we're going to include for the first time ever on one package the non russ tolman true west right so so there's going to be yeah. some true west where russ didn't didn't play didn't write that's gonna suck Oops. <laughs> ouch <laughs> not editing this is staying yeah, yeah. um <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting project. Also, you know, True West did did uh, demos of one or two songs that Russ wound up putting on his first solo album. Uh, oh yeah, right. That was on Totem Poles, Glory Holes, um, mm -hmm. and um, I actually haven't really started on that one. It seems a little daunting, even though there's not that much material to pick through. Um, 
And what you like give them to an engineer and then give them a list of what you want them to mix. And then you come in and listen to their mix and make suggestions. Is that what happens? Sometimes. Um, or sometimes I just sit in the same room, you know, and just be like, okay, let's, but you know, usually like, like with the Steve Wynn box or this true West box, there is, there's no mixing to be done because it's, it's in other words, it's just, here's a cassette or here's a reel to reel. We don't have the multi-track tapes anymore. You know what I mean? Mm. So mm -hmm. I'm really going for so just cleaning it up. Yeah, cleaning it up, and and also I'm kind of going for performance over sound. In other words, if it sounds crap, you know. In other words, if the audio is crappy but the performance is great, that to me is more important than great sound, terrible performance. Does that does that make sense? You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, you know, I'm not like I I think I said earlier about stuff you know this isn't dark side of the moon where we're going to use it as a stereo demonstration record so so we're, we're really looking to extract the best possible performance right mm -hmm. um yes yeah, so someday if we all live long enough uh maybe you know maybe we'll do a giant barbara manning live box <laughs> oh i i i know i have so many tapes like i have zillions of dat tapes of live shows from me in europe with Calexico backing me up and stuff. I had so many. Yeah, and I have. Um, uh, I should. I should have dragged it out ahead of time to flash them. I probably have about fifty Barbara Manning CDRs because I've, I've digitized uh, my whole bar, most of my Barbara Manning collection. Um, so there's. That's so yeah. nuts. I used to be so mad when you show up to record something. Yes, I know. I get so mad. I'd get mad at Pat so much back yes. then. Yes. Because I guess I just didn't feel comfortable with yeah. his um, adoration. Yeah. <laughs> it was very awkward, but um, yeah, there was. A, but yeah, it was. There was a show. Sometimes you know you want a live show to be like, like in my like you take a breath in and you breathe it out and then it dissipates and it's gone. That's you know, rather than being something that is forever, ever, 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 you know, I got blisters on my fingers, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Excuse my bad accent. No, you're, no, you're right. In fact, one of the few shows I didn't go to back in the day, some other nutbag came up to Barbara afterwards and said, you're Brian Wilson and John Cale rolled into one. Do you remember that? Wait, <laughs> you weren't there? And you're asking me if I remember it? Well, you told me. You said, yeah, I met some crazy guy last night. He came up to me. Because I, I honestly only remember you telling me that. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's as far as my memory goes with that. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, sure. You know, people people start to. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool compliment, actually. Um, I probably didn't take it for what it was worth back then. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like you've got a dark side, which is Kale, and you've got a pop side, which is Brian Wilson. Oh, thank you. That's how I, look. I like that. Thank you to the fan who said that a long time ago through the filter of Pat Thomas that remembers every single thing. Exactly. exactly. That's um, why we like having Pat on the show because Pat is amazing archivist um, and he's got a lot of stuff in here. I, uh, I recently did one of these with Chuck Prophet and a bunch of- he's, a, he's so funny. He is funny, but a bunch of fans said to me, our favorite part was Pat telling Chuck his own stories that Chuck couldn't remember, you know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, he went through he went through his risky business period. He did. He did go through a risky business period. Yeah, he's long since out of it. Yeah. Pat, I had one last question before we wrap up about super okay. and it's the visuals. Um, how 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 um 
how much of a part of the visual were you? Because it looks like when I first got it, I thought, okay, there's some copy it's things. damaged. Yeah. I said, I wanna, I, I, yeah, we need to talk about this. Okay. First of all, the artwork is all done by a guy named Nat Russell, uh, who lives in Indianapolis, Indiana, but he used to live in Berkeley. And, and he's, he's a, quite a bit younger than us, but he was a fan. He purposely, because this is archival, he purposely did this water damage, right? But when the, seat, when the box set first came out, I got letters asking me if I could send them a clean cop. In other words, people thought it was truly water damaged. I did. When I got it, I did. Yeah. No, that's the whole point. That is so rad. Yeah, it's it so like rad. It is the most rad. excellent part of it. It is. It's so fucking cool. And, and I couldn't believe that people thought it was real water damage. But, you know, I'm looking at it now and it does look real. It looks. It does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Extreme. Funny that I always thought it was a coffee, a coffee stain. <laughs> well, he might have done coffee stains to go for the water. You know, I, I should ask him actually how he did that. Um, well, it's funny how we've all seen tape reels with water damage. Yes. Yeah. In order to be able to recognize right away what that is. Yeah, that's 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 right. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right. Before we let you guys go, Pat, I, you're the Barbara Manning expert. If and you probably know everything about Barbara, but if you were on our side and you were going to ask Barbara a question, do you have one question relating to this or Barbara's musical career that you can ask her? Well, um, you know what? I think it would be cool. Because Barbara and I haven't talked about this in probably 30 years. I'd like Barbara to talk for a, a minute or two about her songwriting process. If, if she, I know it's hard to talk about it because it's kind of like in your head and your heart, but maybe she can talk about that a little bit. It's uh, easy. Um, I feel like it comes over like a cloud, like you're kind of like I have a fog. Actually, it's more like a constipated feeling, like you're feeling like you suddenly feel extremely um solid inside and you need to get it out or something like it's a very physical feeling so mm -hmm. um so there's that and I get it still because all of a sudden I'll get these like lyrics in my head but then the thing is I also poo-poo all things all the time like I feel like sure that oh I'll start playing something and then I'll go eh anyone can write that like it just doesn't seem um complex enough or edgy enough or meaningful enough. So I would say that the writing process is not hard and you can either spend time on it, like where you work on it piece by piece and take it apart and put it back together, which is a great way to write a song, or it writes itself in like a minute or two. And you have just have to make sure you have a tape recording going because it sort of works through you at the time. Um, I call those muse songs because those are songs that are like, wow, amazing. They wrote themselves. Um, and then I most recently wrote a song. I know Pat, you, you heard it. I think pretty sure you yeah. heard it, uh, where somebody paid me, um, a good amount of money that just enough that like, it was like my rent money a couple months mm -hmm. ago, uh, to write a song. And they told me what they wanted me to write about was a mathematician who had a mental illness. Right. <laughs> and, I had really, like, I loved writing it. It was so fun. I just did all this research, took tons of notes, um, started to figure out, like, what kind of sound I wanted, played the guitar with myself, and then, like, wrote more lyrics, and the song was written, like, in a week, and it, it's a pretty solid, like, it's got, you know, good chunks of stuff in it, and 
I feel like it's a good song. It's not an emotional song for me. It's not like I'm singing about my life. It's totally, you know, it's just a song about a person. And um, I think it's, a, you know, it's going to sound good with a band. Let's see if 28 Day will play it. Yeah. Yes. Last, last question about songwriting. I know, yeah. I know Pete Townsend does this a lot, Neil Young a little bit. Do you ever have like a piece of a song and then five years later you go back and grab it and put it into something else or? Yeah, Pete, Pete would do that a lot. It's fun to hear it in other songs and go, hey, he stole that or he repurposed it. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of an example of that, Pat. I, didn't, um, I don't think you do that, but I'm- And I think it's because I, I throw away most of my stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I just, mm -hmm. I look at it and go, is this better than anybody else's version of this kind of sound? No. So I just get rid of it. Like it has, I, I feel like a song is only worth keeping if it's got something like, like, whoa, I don't think anybody's done that before. That's new, you know, that's for me when I hold on to a song and work on it more. But most of the time it's like, wow, anybody could have written that. And a lot of times I listen to music by people, not necessarily the electronical modernist stuff. I don't really feel like I could do, but a lot of times I listen to like, singer songwriter stuff and I think if I had written that I wouldn't have presented it because it's too easy mm -hmm. so so in a way that kind of discourages me from doing more music because I feel like eh like so much of it's already done like give me something else you know or just give me something raw and I'll go back to the 70s and jump well, around well, you know the one thing you don't do because you you know you don't tend to repeat yourself musically which I love you know uh, are you sure well uh, let me i have sort of that barbara manning sound let me just yeah you do but let me just say that and i'm not going to mention any names but some some of my our, our peers will send me a collection of their songs go pat go through these for me you know and i'll write back and say well, you already wrote and recorded this song four times you know um and, you know um and i'm not i'm not trying to be a dick with that but i'm just saying that some some songwriters sort of have this template and they keep sort of redoing it redoing it redoing it but you know your your stuff has a uh, sure it's it's samey in the sense that it's definitely Barbara Manning, but you know Marky Smith is a completely different song from Scissors. Let's say you know there's nothing similar about them whatsoever. best fan thank you very yes, much yes. <laughs> can you believe that jeff was in a classroom and my dad was the teacher i love that I, yeah he was yeah isn't that great mr manning it's so mr. weird manning. it's Civics. so weird yeah, my, i'm yeah. so glad 
that there's that connection because I have so much confusion in regards to my my relationship with my dad. Yeah. So it's really nice to have that really clear, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I like that. And he was always very, well, when the record came out, he was very proud the way that he talked about you. And, uh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. Which record though? 28 Day. Do you remember which? Probably 28 Day. 28 Day record. Yeah. Yeah, because, oh, really? yeah, because uh-huh. we were talking about it um we thought it senior high school boys we thought it was, had to do with a woman's cycle so we're like oh 28 days kind of did yeah <laughs> i think it did oh. <laughs> so barbara pat's not one for long podcasts and and we tend to ramble on but we wanted uh, our last question to be from you did you have any last questions for pat um you've already asked a couple of really good questions about especially about the process but well, sure. Let's, let's ask this one. It's kind of obvious. Pat Thomas, when are you going to put out a Pat Thomas box set? Well, I am. I am just, I, well, t- two things. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put out a new old Pat. I'm going to do a Pat Thomas album of stuff that's already been recorded that only came out in Germany. I'm also doing this thing. Uh, you might have heard, you know, Chris Kagavis turned 60 recently. Yeah. So I was asked to record a Chris Kagavis song along with a lot of his other friends. And that was the first time I've been that I've sang anything in like 20 years. Mm. So I've decided with a buddy, I'm going to record like a dozen cover songs by my friends. Oh, one of mine. Right. And, uh, and I'm going to put that out on Bandcamp. you know? Yeah. Uh, awesome. So I'm going through friends songs. Um, and if, and if you've heard the Kagavis song, I sort of deconstructed it. Uh, I, 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 I didn't want to spend more than an hour recording it, right? So, so I want all of these songs to be really kind of rough. Visceral. Visceral, yes, exactly, exactly. So um, yeah, when Barbara first met me, I fancied myself as some kind of singer-songwriter of which I was kind of neither, but I did play a little guitar and I did record a bunch of songs and I-, I st- You play drums. Play drums. Yeah, that's really my best instrument uh, for sure. So. Well, All folks, right. Well, I think we should wrap this up. We've been talking yeah. for 70 minutes. Yes, the thank Barbara you. Barbara was a wonderful that. surprise. I, I kind of liked the fact she was lingering in the shadows while I pontificated. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, Barbara and I, uh, it was a last minute thing. So um, yeah. we had no intention of bringing Barbara on, but Barbara, thank you so much for being real sneaky. No problem. We really appreciate it. And for our listeners who don't have it yet, um, it might be tricky to find, but um, go out and look for this box set. Okay. Ryan and I are both big fans. So Pat, thank you for making this happen. Barbara, appreciate the song. Let me know when you're posting. Yeah, okay. yeah I'll, be, I'll be reposting this one for sure. Cool. I bet. Thank you both. All right. Yeah. Thank you all. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Well, Soraya, we, we pulled off our, our little sneakiness <laughs> and uh, we snuck Barbara on. I, I kind of dropped a couple hints along the way. <laughs> I, was, I was mentioning surprises and uh, talking to Barbara <laughs> and then we brought her on. So um that was pretty fun. Looked like you're having a little bit of technical issues on your end. I am. I am. I, I don't know what it was, what it is. I do know that my internet provider has been working up and down my street this week. So I do apologize for that. 
But again, uh, the most important people no worries, no worries, were but... heard, and that was Pat Thomas and Barbara Manning. Yeah. So any thoughts about the conversation? First of all, it was great. I like seeing the two of them. I like hearing the two of them together. And it's so evident that their friendship not only spans a lot of years, but there's a great deal of respect between the two of them. And I just wanted to point out one quote from the liner notes. Absolutely. And um, I think to me, it's, it's interesting how you listen to Barbara talk about kind of her process and what she feels comfortable with as an artist. And then here comes Pat Thomas saying, she said, you know, I wasn't comfortable with adoration, but Pat makes very good points that his voice in and she has to be a part of the conversation about important women in music, you know, in the last the top women of rock or whatever. But I love this, this this quote that killed me in the liner notes. And it says, quote, by the time of one perfect green blanket, I was being told to keep away from the studio and keep my mouth shut. Although I was still allowed to hear demos as they were happening. And so to me, it, it's interesting because as wow. someone who's a musician, a producer, you know, an archivist, a compiler, you name it. But for an artist to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'll record this album for your record label, but you got to stay away from my studio and shut up about it. You know, and that it, did, no. it didn't deteriorate the friendship, but I think it strengthened it across a number, a number of ways. And you hear that in this box set, you know, Pat said a lot of these things either I had or had access to, and that I felt were important to be released. And especially on that third one that has a lot of alternate versions and home demos. Um, three good box takes their vision of who Barbara Manning is as an artist. And the fact that, you know, Clive told us, I'll sell it to you, but you know, I got no more to give. I think that that speaks for itself yeah. that, you know, this is such a valuable collection that people are not willing to part with what they have in order to share it. And so, you mm -hmm. know, I think Jeff and I both realized this is for some, this is going to be a difficult get, but it's valuable. And I think one of the things that people should know as Barbara told us is her some of her work is accessible on Bandcamp on Discogs and even on eBay so you know begin to exhaust those places because Barbara you know one of the quotes I found online um from bbislandmusic.com is that uh is that Barbara Manning is America's un, unheralded sweetheart. And I love that quote because she's gonna blow your mind with her songs. Her songs are so, like there's another quote in there, if you forgive me. Uh, and it was from a, um, 
the review of, of, um, of scissors. And uh, the reviewer says, the reviewer is Rick Thomas. This is from 1988. The playing is solid throughout, almost minimalistic in keeping with the nature of the songs and includes excellent moments provided by Cole Marquis on Make It Go Away and the wonderful cello of Kim Osterwald on Never Park. Can't help seeing that young girl with the crumpled pieces of paper every time I spin this record. It only adds to my own satisfaction that she finally is where she wants to be. And in the end, we've both benefited somehow. She's she is really oh, extraordinary. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting that they call her America's sweetheart. And I definitely see that side of her, but I think of her as fierce. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, she's badass. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care. She is a badass. But that idea of she's the unheralded sweetheart, it goes to Pat's point where like she's been left out of a conversation Agreed. that must have her Absolutely. in it. And it could be, and it could be simply due to the fact that, you know, she's an independent artist. And, you know, as he made the point about where mainstream music media focuses yep. here in the US, you know, but she's fantastic. And if you have listened to 28th Day, you need to hear her Agreed. solo work. Absolutely. Her solo work is Agreed. outstanding. Agreed. Well, we went a little bit over what I promised Pat, but <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad we made this happen. I think I think it was a good conversation and a necessary one. All right. Mi gente. Groove on, Paisley people. Get rid of me. Lately I keep scissors. 